Good evening. How are you guys? It's good to be back with you. Um, I was here about, what, five weeks ago? Can you guys remember what we're doing? We're doing foundations. And uh, what we started with the last time is we talked about the concept of salvation. You guys remember that? Who remembers that? Uh, well done, only one person there, Basil. Because he studied theology probably. So we, we're covering the concept of salvation and, um, you know, sin. Why did Jesus come to die? What is our believer's authority? What are the practices that we must do as Christians to live a, a fruitful Christian life? And what, we like to, what I would like to cover with you tonight is I would like to speak to us about water, water baptism. How many of you have been water baptized? Uh, are there any people here that have not been baptized? Great. Um, I trust that you will hear, listen tonight, and that uh, hopefully afterwards you will feel convinced and convicted in your heart to possibly get water baptized. And so the three things that I would like to speak about is, is who qualifies for baptism, and words, who can get baptized? Why do we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And then what are the effects of baptism? And so in Acts, answering that first question, who qualifies to be baptized? Acts 2.37, we see Peter preaching here to the Jews. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so who can be baptized? Every one of you that has come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word and has had a moment where you've responded and said, what must I do? Just like they said, they asked the question. I'm convicted. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that I'm separated from God. I realize that I'm not walking in the plan and the purpose and the destiny of God. I realize that my sin has, has got consequences. And I, Julie, and so... <laughs> In that moment, there's a convicting power that comes. How many of you have had that? I had my moment on a mountain in Cirrus, on my own. The Holy Spirit came upon me, and I realized that I was separated from God. And I said, Lord, I give up. I want to do it your way. And I got saved in a moment. God took out my heart of flesh, gave me a heart of, gave me a, no, took out my heart of stone. Sorry, thank you. You guys must help, eh? Gave me a heart of flesh. I was sensitive in my heart. That's what it means. It means I had a hard heart. It was hardened because of sin and rebellion, and I turned away from God. And in that moment of conviction, God gave me a fresh heart, and I could feel Him, and I could experience Him, and He gave me Spirit. And then I repented. I changed my mind about God and about the way that I viewed the world. And then you can get baptized. And so... When can we get baptized? When we feel the convicting power of the Spirit. When we are able to respond in faith. So that kind of like answers the question, well, maybe you were christened when you were a baby. And that's not baptism. That's christening. And so, if you've been born again, you can be baptized. And Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that we baptize, and I just want to read Romans 6, 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk into the newness of life. And so baptism for us symbolizes that we, are, we get buried. What do we bury? You don't bury alive people, do you? You bury dead people. And so that moment when you come to, under conviction and you, and you come into repentance, your old man dies. And so when we get baptized, we, the old man goes into the water and the new person comes out into a newness of life. And it comes out in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, which symbolizes three things for us. In the name of the Father, because the Father had a plan for your life. From before the foundation of the world was laid, He knew you and consecrated you and called you into His plan. And so when we come to, into salvation, we come into a possibility of now walking in God's plan for our lives. Does that automatically happen? No, quite the contrary. I have to choose to walk in the plan that God has for me. And so when I go into the waters of baptism, I choose to now not follow my own plans, not follow my parents' plans, not maybe follow my spouse's plan for my life, but to lay down my life and to follow and to seek God's will and to follow God's plan for my life. And have you noticed when people get baptized, what they do is, is they... Take off their clothes. Well, not all their clothes, but some of their clothes. They take their car keys out their pocket. They take their wallet. They take their cell phone. They go into the waters of baptism, and then they come out, and they take their social networks and their friends. My money... Did Jesus die for all of you? He died for all of you. He gave all of himself for you. And so baptism symbolizes that now I'm willing to bring my money under the plan of God for my life. I'm willing to bring my friendships and my social networks under the plan. Because you might have friends that are not good for you. Maybe friends, you know, bad company corrupts good morals, good character. So they, I'll tell you a story later on. Uh, I had a friend who was quite interesting. And uh, our God helped me. Where I go. What I do with my life. Where I work. All these things, as we go into the water of baptism, we submit it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because we want to live in the will of the Father for our lives. We get baptized in the name of the Son because Jesus is the one that died for us. Jesus is the one that shed his blood for us. Jesus is the one that now comes and with his blood washes clean our conscience. 1 Peter 3, 2, 1 says that baptism, oh, I was expecting the scripture to pop up there, but I'm in control of my own scriptures. Oh, I don't have the scripture there, I apologize. But 1 Peter 3, 2, 1, 1 Peter 3 verse it, it must be verse 21. 1 Peter 3, chapter 21 says that we are baptized now not for the cleansing of our bodies. So now that you don't go into the waters of baptism to wash yourself, but for the cleansing of our conscience. And so what baptism means for us is that when I go down into that water of baptism, is that 
They, the stuff that I did, the stuff that accuses me, stays down with me. And that's a really powerful thing, because the devil is the one that wants to come and accuse us. And he's the one that wants to come and remind us of the things that we used to do. And so, when the devil comes and accuses me, he says, Hey, Monet, you stole. Remember those trophies that you took? I go, "Uh uh-uh, that guy's dead. And baptism helps us to wash clean our conscience, because I'm now a son, and you might be now a daughter and a son. Of Jesus, Christ. are you wanting to respond, Lucas? <laughs> yeah, maybe listen. To <laughs> what question do you have? I'm interested now. Yes. Can I? So, given that most of us have been baptized, and we, we, I mean, we know that that old man died at that point, but the problem is. Oh, he was buried, rather. Okay, so he didn't die. Okay. But now, we still sin. You know? So, so I find that the devil accuses me, not of the stuff before I got... He accuses me of the stuff I did today. And then, like, was that... Sorry, that's the question. So do you get rebaptized every time you sin? No. No, I shouldn't, because there's one, one Lord, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism. And so I think the answer to your question is in 1 John 1 verse 7 says, If we live in the light as he is in the light, we have true fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from unrighteousness. And so the answer to your question is is we need to live in the light. And so if you have a slip, if you stumble, if you make a mistake, then repent, walk in relationship with Jesus, because now as we go into the water, as we come out, we come out into relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so as we now walk and we are being led by the Holy Spirit day by day, He's the one that makes us righteous. Because all of us have sinned, don't we? Well, actually, 1 John says that if you say you have no sin, you sin, you're a liar. Because we all have sin that we're unaware of. And so the, the sin that we become aware of under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that sin, there's faith to then cleanse ourselves and walk in. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that step by step makes us more righteous. And I think that's the answer, is, is you have to follow the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit each and every day of your life. Like, you, you should, you should, it sounds very, we should hear the Spirit every single day. Okay, so the question is, have you heard Him today? Because your old man was buried, you was raised into newness of life, you were baptized now into the Holy Spirit. And he's the one now that lives in our heart, and he's the one that leads and guides us. And so that's what baptism means for us, is as we buried, we are raised, our old plan stays behind, we raised into a new plan. We have to choose to follow God and seek God. We receive Christ's forgiveness, and we then walk in the Holy Spirit. And that's what baptism means for us, and that's the effect that it has for us, is now we can combat the devil and go, mm, that's the old man that did that. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then there's this scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2 that says, and they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You guys know the, the story of Moses? 
So Moses came as the redeemer of Israel, a type of Christ. The Israelites were captive in Egypt. They were under slavery. They were making bricks. And Moses came and the ten plagues and then the final plague with the marking of the door. The angel of death came. The firstborns died. And then they left. And they were busy leaving Egypt on the way to the promised land. And then they got to, I think it's the Red Sea. And what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh followed them. After a few days, Pharaoh realized, like, hey, I don't want to make bricks. Neither do the other Egyptians, so let's go get our slaves back. And so they were stuck on the edge of the sea with Pharaoh's army coming to take them back into, back into slavery. And so what baptism does for you is baptism cuts that off. Who's seen that movie, Prince of Egypt? I love that movie because, you know, I like cartoons. And so the water opens up and the whole of the Israelites, they get in and they're walking through. And there's like the wall of water and there's like a whale and it's like, oh, it's like beautiful. And they get through onto the other side and then what happens? Boom, the ocean closes up and the enemies are destroyed. And Pharaoh can't get a hold of them. I want to say to you, if you've got some stuff, some stuff that's still operational, some stuff that's still flowing in your life from your past life. Maybe you're battling with some habits. Maybe you're battling getting rid of some of these things that flow in you. Baptism can be a deliverance moment for you if you go into it with faith. And so I just want to take a little bit of time to maybe talk about some of the practices of Egypt that we might still have in our lives today. And these things have become so normal in our current society that we might not even be aware that we're actually practicing occultic or hidden knowledge practices, which is an abomination to the Lord. And 2 Timothy 2.12 says, training us to renounce. And renunciation is deeper than repentance. Repentance is changing your mind. Renunciation is stopping the flow of something in your life. There might be something flowing out of you. And worldly passions to live self-control and upright and godly lives in this present age. And what we need to do is we need to be able to discern... But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And what I want to talk about now is, is I want to talk to us about how do we distinguish good from evil. All right. And this is solid food. When you're a baby, what do you get? You get milk. Why do you get milk? It's easy to digest. But when you get solid food, what do you have to do? And I'm not talking about that mashed up stuff your mom gave you. I'm not talking about purity. I'm talking about like a piece of steak. What do you... <laughs> well, it's not mince either. Yes, you had like a mince gemaakt van antwoord. Kreeg my some mince for us tonight. Now if you get a piece of steak, you, you cut it and you've got to chew on it. And so what I'm going to be talking about tonight is we have to chew on this a bit. All right. So if there's something in you that rises up... Just settle down. We, it's, these things are sometimes difficult to understand and they're sometimes not palatable. But we need to distinguish good from evil because my people perish 
because of a lack of prophetic vision or lack of prophetic teaching. So if we neglect to teach you these things, you will perish. Do you know what perish is? Perish for me, if I think perish, I immediately think of, you know those old caravans? Or an old trailer? You sometimes drive past someone's yard and you can almost see this trailer's old. And then when you look at their wheels, it's like all cracked. Is that wheel able to contain air? No. Because it's been standing on that one spot, it's, the rubber is cracked and it's actually, it lets out the air. We have been made to house, house the presence of God. And sometimes we can be involved in practices that causes us to leak God's goodness. God's people is destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Just, I get a turkey butter angesmeer. So, what are some of the things that that we can be involved with that can be Egyptian practices? I'm going to mention a few: yoga, acupuncture. Some of the things that is actually quite prevalent in our society. So how do we discern between what is good and what is evil? And I want to give you three principles. The first principle is, is it physical or is it spiritual? Now, if you look at Genesis 1 through 3, it speaks about God created everything physical he blessed it, it was good, it brought about fruitfulness, multiplication, and rest, and then he put it under the stewardship of man. And so God gave us the physical realm to operate in. But apart from the physical realm, you have a spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, you have two opposites. You have light and dark, you have good and evil. And so God says that we must get involved in the spiritual realm on his side, with God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the angels, spiritual giftings, like words of knowledge, words of discernment, prophecy, healing, acts of faith, all those things. And for all those things, the devil has a counterfeit. You know, for prophecy, he has the tunny with the tarot cards or the crystal ball. Am I going to get married one day? Yes, I see a man on a horse with a... And that's, that's on the wrong side of the spectrum. It's called hidden knowledge. It's called the occult. And God says that we shouldn't get involved with that. So the first question in order to discern is ask yourself, is this physical or is it spiritual? Now, that's, is that as clear as mud? So I'm going to give you an example just to illustrate. What is the difference between acupuncture and deep needling? How many of you have gone to the physiotherapist? You've got a spasm, and then the physiotherapist takes out a needle and then sticks it into you. I've, I've done that. I'm sorry to admit that there's a, there's a small percentage of us that's too sensitive for that. So she stuck that needle into me, and like after about five seconds, I said to her, listen here, I think I'm going to pass out. So she took out the needle. So they can't practice deep needling on me, but there's nothing morally wrong with deep needling. But they use an acupuncture needle. It's the same needle. So what's the difference between deep needling and acupuncture? You see, when they do deep needling with you, they take that needle and they put it into the center of the spasm. 
And as the needle goes into the spasm, it breaks the cell membranes, it breaks the cell, and it, it releases chemotactic factors. Histamines, prostaglandins, and interleukins. That then causes the myosin and the actin fibers to release, and voila, your spasm's gone. Now, it's an oversimplification of what happens, but it's kind of like, is there any, are there any physiotherapists here? Oh, great. No one can show me up. <laughs> but that's kind of like how it works. With acupuncture, on the other hand, the philosophy that empowers the practice is completely different. Their philosophy is that you've got meridians. You've got energy channels. And at the junction of the energy channels, it's called meridians. And if you... Insert a needle at that point. The point of inserting a needle there is to balance the good and the, the bad energy so that you can be healed. Now, that is not a Christian principle. Are we supposed to balance good and evil? Are we supposed to balance good and bad? No, we are supposed to do good and to resist evil. When we open you up, there are no nerves or channels that run on that area. And so it's also not a physiological, anatomical thing. And just because it works doesn't mean it's right or good. We don't judge whether something is good or bad by whether it works or not. We've got to judge it on whether God allows it or not. Because there's a lot of things that are good and work that we probably shouldn't get involved with. So do you, do you understand that? So physical, when we put the needle in, we know physiologically, we know the mechanism of action. And that energy that you balance in the acupuncture, it's not the energy that you get in the plug. You know, you put your phone in the plug and you, you feel it's some form of spiritual energy. And so it's for me, if I have to discern on, on that principle, I wouldn't get involved with that. And I'm not here to now to tell you what to do and what not to do. I'm here to give you solid food so that you can discern for yourself. Because if we get involved, you know, sometimes maybe you might be involved in these things and you're all right. But then your finances fall apart and your relationships struggle. And you've got just, you know, the curse is an opposite of a blessing. And when there's blessing... There's fruitfulness, multiplication, and rest. The opposite of fruitfulness, multiplication, and rest is? What's opposite of fruitfulness? Barrenness, division, and lack. And sometimes we, we don't know, why is it that my finances isn't breaking through? Why is it that I'm not prospering? Well, maybe you're leaking. You like that tire on the caravan. And God has brought me here tonight to... Just maybe have a look. With the Holy Spirit, obviously. Um, is that all right? Any questions? And, um, a few more examples. You can share something quickly about that. Thank you, Julie. Um, so before I got saved, 
Um, I was was 16, I started um, attending a yoga class, and I was brought up in a Christian home, went to the Methodist church, and um, the second time that I was at at this yoga class, um, we did this, like, relaxation technique, and as we did it, I had an experience where I left, like, I left my body, and um, I floated into the back of this lady's garden. I know it sounds totally out there, but the spiritual is the spiritual. <laughs> there's good and there's bad. <laughs> Sorry, Maury, are you okay? Um, <laughs> and um, and that um, when I when I um, was leaving, I said to the yoga teacher, "Oh, this happened to me." And she was like, "Oh, do you realise such a gift?" And she gave me some literature to read, and that's how I got into. Um, that's how I got into um, all the alternative um, stuff that I got into. And um, I went very deep into meditation and transcendental meditation and all kinds of things. And um, But when I got um, baptized, was the most amazing um, thing that happened, is that I actually, I used to like, I could, I knew stuff about people, I knew stuff about things. I, I would sit in class and I'd know what was going on in the class next door. And um, like, it was just like a, the, the gift the gift grew and grew and grew in me. And um, and then I got saved and I renounced all those things. But I struggled still with, like, I still smoked marijuana. I still smoked cigarettes. I still drank. I had terrible asthma that I'd suffered with. And um, the day that I got baptized, when I came up out of the water, I, it was completely quiet. I never heard a single thing. Like, all the voices in my head were gone. Like, everything. And it was this quietness that I'd had for the first time in my, I think, in my life, that there was just this silence. And I stopped smoking instantly. I, smoked, I stopped using marijuana instantly. And my asthma left instantly. Like, I never used any. I was using three kinds of medication for asthma. I never touched it again. Um, and yeah, so it, it's very, very, very real. And obviously I went, I, I experienced a lot of other things too, but just the power of the, of the, of baptism itself. Like I went in with such an expectation that I was going to be freed, that I was going to be set free. And it was explained to me so well before I got baptized. Like the, the understanding was like, I'm going to come up a new creature. And so there must be some changes. Like there must be even physical changes in me. Um, uh, and there was. So what Monet is saying is I can really, um, you yeah, just say like, even if you've been involved in things, like it's never too late to renounce those things again <laughs> if you feel like you haven't. Maybe another example on the physical and the spiritual side. So, uh, herbalism. You know what herbalism is? Uh, versus allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine, fancy word for, for pillar. <laughs> you see, I used to be a pharmacist, I wore a white coat. Not a black one. So is um, is herbalism all right? You know, you, we get um, aspirin or disparin. How many you know what disparin is? Aspirin. We get aspirin from the bark of the willow tree, acetyl salicylic acid. So you know, maybe you think you want to be more natural, because that's a word that gets bantered around a lot. You know, herbs are natural and pills aren't. It's like we get them from outer space. If you want to do herbalism, it's fine. If you want to ch- eat the bark of the willow tree and maybe get a little worm with it, you're still going to get your acetyl salicylic acid. It'll prevent the blood clots. It'll work for your headache. It'll, it'll be good. 
I prefer the medicine because I know that it's clean and I know how much is in it, but morally there's nothing wrong with it. Because it is, what's the first principle? Is it spiritual or physical? It's physical, and so it's fine. So herbalism is fine. Homeopathy, I don't know. I, 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 re, I, I really don't know. You know, at, at the, I know, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes and they're blue, but homeopathy works like this. At the very least, it's, it's quackery. And then, you know what quackery is? It's, it's eye blind. It's snake oil. I tell you why I say that. And listen, I, anyway. And maybe there's something spiritual with it. So what they do with homeopathy is, is the principle is this, is that like cures like. So if you have a stomach cramp, we are going to give you something that causes a stomach cramp. We're going to take a little bit of it and put it in a, a big amount of water and we're going to shake it. Then we're going to take a drop of that and we're going to put it in another big container of water and we're going to shake it. And we're going to dilute it. We're going to dilute it. And the more we dilute it, the stronger it gets. Okay, that's their philosophy. So, in my opinion, if you buy homeopathic medicine, you're buying water that has been shaken. <laughs> now, it's your money. But it works. So, I'm just like, why does it work? Is there some form of spiritual connection to it? I don't know. But if you go and read up on the guy that started it, he was a bit of a strange joke. But I can't find enough to tell you it's good or bad, and that's also not the point of tonight's talk. The point is, is you, you need to discern. Um, so the second principle is, what's the second principle? The principle of faith, like a mustard seed. It, I think it also depends how you connect with the practice that you are doing. So how much faith, you know, faith is trust. How much trust are you putting in this practice? Because God's there to protect us, to provide for us, you know, to give us identity. So I'm going to give you an example to illustrate this. Say I'm in my house and a bunch of armed robbers storm into my house they tie me and my wife and my children up. They ransack the house and they leave us f for dead. Now, I'm fearful in my heart because I don't want this to happen again. And the next time it happens, I want to be prepared. So now I'm going to start doing karate because, you know, I'm going to protect myself. That person connects differently with the practice than someone that's just doing it for exercise. Because there's a faith component involved in it. Do you guys see that? That's why sometimes, you know, you get people that they've done karate their whole lives and, you, you know, they pray and they come for deliverance and nothing happens. And some folks do it once and it's just like, hojos come out. I think there's a faith component that's also involved. Now, I'm not saying that you should get involved in Eastern fighting things, but for me and my household, it's... I wouldn't. I wouldn't allow my children to, but you've got to discern. 
and maybe ask your elders. And then there's also a worship component. Is that when we're doing this together, and this is kind of like where yoga fits in for me, is like the yoga poses that you do is very similar to the Pilates poses that you do. Except the yoga poses is you're actually worshiping a God when you're doing those poses. You're worshiping in your, in your poses that you do, you're worshiping a deity. Now the Bible says that God is a jealous God. And so yoga, it's worship. It's even sometimes set the oak in the front. He's like the worship leader. And the people that you hang out with are like, that's like fellowship. They all cook around that. And I think there's like this worship component involved with yoga and some practices. And it's sometimes it's just, it opens up a door. You know, the one thing leads to, the, like with Judy's testimony, the one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. So those are the three principles that, that I would use in order to discern whether a practice is good or evil. And then obviously you can just judge it by its fruit. You can see the effect that it has on your life. Are you walking in blessing or are you walking in cursing? All right. So why do we talk about this in baptism? And Julie's testimony is brilliant because I believe that if you go into the waters of baptism with faith, it is more than a symbolic act. It can be a deliverance moment for you where the old man is buried and the new man comes to life. And so if you haven't been baptized, I would urge you to sit with the Holy Spirit and ask Him to reveal if there's any flow in your life, to write those things down on a paper, to renounce it, to say, Lord, I've practiced this, I've eaten of the fruit of this, I turn away from it and I repent. That's what renunciation is. is I'm turning away from the flow because there's benefits that come with these things. I turn away from that. I repent. Write that down. Go into the water of baptism with your piece of paper and know that your enemies have been destroyed behind you as you come out into a newness of life. That's baptism in water. Any questions about baptism? Um, like, if you want to approach baptism uh, and get it done, like, what's the process and the procedure? Like, uh, is there any person specific that needs to be qualified to baptize you and stuff? All right, so, so how do we get baptized? We find some water. You want to go now? So I don't think there's specifically anyone that needs to baptize you. Paul says that I'm in a scripture somewhere, I think it's in Corinthians, says, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of you except this from this side or this. So I don't think it's necessarily that an elder or anyone baptizes you. Like any believer can baptize you. So it doesn't have to be a person that's specifically within authority. So you can get baptized by anyone. If you've come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you're saved, you qualify for baptism, what I would do is, is I would speak to my community leader or I would speak to my elder, and I would just organize a time where, we can get, where, we, where you can get baptized because it's a celebration for the community. It's such a wonderful moment. You go into the water of baptism, your friends are there, maybe your family is there, you come out, Guys, pray for you. People often receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well, or some gifts in the Holy Spirit. You receive some prophetic words. It's just a wonderful celebratory moment within the, the, the life of the church. So I would go about, but it's not that there's anyone that's qualified. You don't need like a duomini or an elder to do it. Anyone can do it. They must just be 
saved. Does that answer your question? Are the elders happy with my answer? person who does the baptizing, surely they should also be baptized themselves if they're going to baptize someone else. That's good. Thank you for helping me. I would, it would be best if the person was also baptized. <laughs> because obviously they need to be convicted and yeah, so I would say any faith-filled, Holy Spirit-filled, water-baptized Christian can baptize you. That would, that would qualify. Um, we often get asked from people that have been baptized before and maybe have uh, wandered off and have gone through some of, maybe even done yoga. Now, baptism, is that the solution to all those things? Um, can people be rebaptized? The Bible does say that there's one Father, one God, one Holy Spirit, one baptism, a couple of ones, one church. And so there is only one baptism. It's not like now when you sin or even when you habitually sin and you walk away from the Lord in a large manner that now you, you get, you've got to get reborn, reborn. You only get reborn once. And then you, you sin, but you can repent and you can come back. There's no sin that can separate you from the love of Christ except our hard heart. And so if the Holy Spirit convicts you, just repent and you can come back. But... If you were baptized and you didn't, you weren't baptized in faith. In other words, maybe you were baptized, you were young, and you didn't understand what you were doing. Or maybe you were baptized out of pressure, and you actually only came to peer pressure, or group pressure, or family pressure, and you only came to faith after that event. Then you can get baptized. I don't think, you know, we, we, we've, in, in our congregation that we lead, is, we've, We've rebaptized some people, but it, it's a conversation, and we'll do it once. But we're not baptizing you again next week. You know, it's does it make sense? I don't think it's like a sin getting baptized a second time if you didn't weren't able to do it with faith or there's some extenuating circumstance. Is that all right? Monet, um, I just wanted to ask. So um, we often on a Sunday somebody gets saved. How soon after they get saved must they get baptized? And I, like I've had conversations with people where they really believe because Jesus said, "Repent and be baptized." That you're not fully saved until you get baptized. Where does that? So the thief on the cross didn't get baptized, and he's in heaven. So you know he exercised his faith. There was conviction in his heart, but. If the Holy Spirit convicts you about baptism and you don't get baptized, I don't know. I can't judge. He's your Lord. So, so I don't think baptism saves you, but I do know that acts of faith saves you. That's counted to you as righteousness. Remember the story about Abraham that I shared. And so it might be for you that you don't get baptized and then you're not saved. I don't know. I don't make that call. You guys, you're looking at me with big eyes. I believe it's our walk of faith with the Lord that saves us. And so baptism will be one of those steps. I actually believe baptism should be the first step, your first step of obedience. See, when Peter preached, they were cut to the heart. What must we do? Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. And so I don't think it's something that you must delay for three months, six months, nine months. I don't think you need to know a certain amount of your Bible and go through catechism or foundations. I believe it's conviction, repentance, faith and obedience, baptism. It is, however, good for you to understand what you're doing because 
in this teaching that I've spoken to you tonight and in the testimony that you've heard, it stirred faith in your heart. So, you know, before you baptize a person, make sure that they're saved and make sure that they understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. You know, that's why like three quarters of you are baptized and we did a teaching on baptism tonight. Well, you should be able to teach others because God calls all of us to make disciples. And so you should be able to to do what what I did tonight, maybe even better. Just on your point of anyone can baptize a person, historically I've never seen a woman baptize a person, um, just for myself. Is that um, allowed? Yeah, anyone can baptize. Males, females, it's, there's no... I've, I've seen it. Yeah, anyone can baptize. A gender is not, a, not an issue. You mentioned it uh, doesn't, well, it saves you. So the Bible talks about three different types of being saved. But that type, you are being saved. And so also baptism is a pledge of a good conscience. And so there's a pledge of a good conscience towards God that you are serving Jesus, that you are living, you're allowing him into those areas. And that's actually how you're being saved. So that's how my understanding of that being saved is because... There's a pledge of a good conscience towards God that you are saying, God, change me daily. Let that old man die. And that's actually sanctification, which is you are being saved. That's very well put. Can't add anything to that. Um, Just a practical question. I've um, had several people that I've spoken to over the years that... Uh, were baptized as a baby and then went through the whole confirmation process and things. And that was, they feel it's very much a part of their spiritual journey. And when I talk about baptism as a believer's baptism, they're quite resistant because they almost feel like that would take away from the spiritual journey they went through confirmation things. They see that as their baptism. How would you approach someone like that to encourage them to go through baptism? I think we have to base our actions on scripture and when i look at scripture there's a process of salvation that happens and so i cannot repent until i get cut to the heart and until i get cut to the heart i cannot ask what should i do and until i can ask what should i do i cannot get saved because i they, they cannot be an action and so when you are christened as a baby you, you you can't get you you can't do those things, and so therefore I believe that salvation is an individual act and not a group act. So I don't get saved into a church or a movement or into a grouping, and that's normally what happens with christening. We do a similar thing. We do baby dedications, but we don't say that that's your salvation. We say that we will raise you in the ways of the Lord, and that it's more than one person in the community that will raise up our children, and that hopefully at some point you will have a moment of faith as a raised child in the community where you come to faith in the Lord. So raise up a child in the way that he or she should go. And when you are old, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And so I don't see that in the Bible. And therefore, we've got to act on what the Bible says, not on what, what the traditions of man nullify the word of God. And in my opinion, that's a tradition of man. And it, it, actually, it actually takes away the, the faith and the power of baptism. And that's, that's my answer. It's like, I don't think you should repent of it, but 
I was christened as a baby, I didn't repent of the act. But when I did come to faith, I did come to conviction, and I did end up being fully submersed in an adult baptism. Um, I believe that first one was of no significance to my salvation. I believe that the prayers, the faithful prayers of the righteous men and women that were praying for me brought me to salvation, but I don't believe that that act had any spiritual significance. And if I died before my salvation, I would have gone to hell. How do you convince people? I can convince people of nothing. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so uh, these, these things are sometimes contentious depending on where you are in South Africa and who you're speaking to in terms of the church tradition. But the Holy Spirit is the one that con- convicts and convinces. And so I would, you said, how would I approach it? I would approach it respectfully. I would approach it in conversation. And I will use the Bible as a basis for our conversation, not, not traditions or the- theological books. Is there anyone that, tonight, you feel like convinced you want to get baptized? Great. Awesome. It would be Lackerman. Can we go baptize those guys on Sunday? So, are you guys in community? Are you guys cool with that? So, I can't take control yeah, I need to, The elders will probably organize it, but after church Sunday, bring some extra clothes and a towel, and uh, we'll go bury. I love it. You know, baptism is such a, a sign also to the community around you. In Mossel Bay, we go baptized after church on a Sunday. We go baptized at Santos. And then, you know, the whole town can see us going down. And we, I call it our graveyard. If you go swimming there, there's a whole bunch of Josh Jen bodies buried, buried there at Santos. <laughs> Invisible bodies. Just as well, you know, just um, those of you who, talking about baptism, haven't baptized, you're a believer, you yeah, and actually we call to baptize. Those that uh, we bring to salvation, that we lead to Jesus, we call to baptize. So I'd like to ask a question. How many of you have actually baptized someone? Let me indicate. Who hasn't baptized anyone? Okay. And that's part of God's commission to us. So, you know, to, to get this into you, to take the scriptures, take the, and, and when you work with someone to bring them to salvation, baptize them. You know, it's one of the two sacraments that was given to us by Jesus. The one's baptism, which happens once, and what's the other one? Breaking of bread. So when I came into Josh Jane, coming out of a traditional church, I was like, I can't break bread because... I don't have the authority to. But we've been given the authority to apply these sacraments. And what we do when we break bread is we remember Jesus. We remember his blood was shed. For our salvation, we remember his body was broken. And uh, so don't do these things. Because when you do these things, I believe they're more than symbolic. There's a spiritual power attached to them. And when you remember Jesus and you look at yourself and you look at the body around you and you look forward to his coming and you look behind you of who you were, you've got gladness that rises up in your heart, you've got hope, you, 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 you've, you've got him inside of you. And, and when we do these things and we do them in faith, there's power in, in them. And so, you know, be a community of faith where we, we practice these things and we'll see more and more of Jesus break out within us.